right. Welcome back, guys, to A Thousand True Crimes. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good. How about you? It's been a morning already, <laughs> but we're recording this the last day of 2020, so I feel like it's He's, the perfect oh. ending to this year of the yes. craziness. We were out walking because um, Baby B now knows how to walk, so he's like, fuck. <gasps> yeah, he's like, fuck he's being a inside. He doesn't want to be inside. He wants to like oh, go everywhere. So we're constantly it. going outside. And of course, it starts like pouring down rain. So we had to run and find cover. But then, <laughs> as it was, I was like, yeah, this is like perfect, perfect ending to 2020. Um, but as we're outside, like, like, as the storm's like ending, a huge, beautiful rainbow pops up. Aww. So I was like, oh, maybe that's a sign that 2021 is going to be a good year. No, God, hopefully, I, no jinxing, but I just don't think it can be worse. I mean, knock it on wood, but okay, if it's worse, everybody can blame Joe. It's my fault. Hey, I knocked on wood. <laughs> I don't know. I'm always like, it can always be worse. It can always be worse. Don't tempt the universe. She'll let you know how much worse it can get. I know. That's why I'm always like, well, it could always be worse. So take what we get, right? That's right. (laughs) I like that, though. That's a beautiful, a beautiful way to end this shit fire of a year. Yeah. So what are you drinking today? Um, I just have uh, some more Cabernet. I think this is like one of my new favorite wines. I was like really mm-hmm. in a Merlot for the longest time. And then I went to like I, Aldi. I get I love Aldi wine. It's like three bucks a bottle. Um, and so I was going to get some more and they were out. And I was like, all right, I'll get a cab. And it's delicious. I love it. I love it. So good. I'm so mad. I used to be able to drink like a ton of red wine. And then after I had Baby B, I'm like I can have like one or two glasses. And then I just... I feel so sick. It's like the Ugh. hormones. What changed. a nightmare. I know. It's How very depressing. Live. It's very depressing. <laughs> At least you still got white wine, girl. I know. Sauvignon Blanc. That's like my, ugh. Love that. I can drink that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-mm. I love it. Is that what you got today? <laughs> no, I just got some rosé. Mm, which is like Can't go wrong with the rosé either. Yeah. Nope. Can't go wrong with it. All right. So... Are you ready for today's story? I don't know. The last one, like, it was so damn creepy. Like, ugh. Yeah. Let's see. What's so this one about? I This one is about Polly class. And I do want to put a trigger warning in there that this does involve um, a crime against a child. So, okay. Brace yourselves uh, or get the fuck out. Yeah, pretty much. And I got a lot of the information from um, polyclass.org, history.com, and YouTube um, for the FBI Files Season 1, Episode 1, and Murderpedia. Ooh, love Murderpedia. Yeah, so this case is actually the case that I think triggered my obsession with true crime because I remember oh. watching this, like this exact episode on um, when I was like seven or eight years old in North Carolina. Wow. At the beach at a friend's That's house. Like, I remember like, I remember the episode and I remember the exact room I was in when I was watching it. So like. That's so funny. So this is what got is. you into it. This is what got me into it because it's just a must very, be a good like, story. 
it is. It's just a very crazy. It's sad, but I think that's just like <laughs> going into true crime. You're just automatically depressed. Brace yourself. It's sad. Yeah. No kidding. Mm-hmm. All right. So a little bit of background information. Polly Hannah Class was born on January 3rd, 1981. And she oh, was the daughter. Oh, my brother. Yeah. She was the daughter to Mark Class and Eve Nicole and a sister to Annie Nicole. And they okay. lived in Petaluma, California. Polly was 12 years old when she was kidnapped and killed. And her parents were separated at the time of the kidnapping. And the only reason I bring that up is because of how she was kidnapped and the fact that, like, the reason why the mom was the only adult there. Ugh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we are coming in hot. Yeah. We're just going to, like, go into it. Hit the ground running. All right. Oh. Baby kidnapped and killed. All right. Here we go. Yeah. Um, so on October 1st, 1993, Polly was having a sleepover with two friends. And in the episode of FBI Files, they do like tell you the name of the two girls, but I just didn't feel like, since they're, they were minors at the time, kind of respect their privacy and. It doesn't, we don't need to know. It's not important. Yeah. So the last friend was dropped off at about 8.30 PM that night. So. The girls are in Polly's room. They kind of stayed in Polly's room for the whole night. And, you know, they're having fun. They're dancing. They're trying on little Halloween costumes and um, all that stuff. And so Polly's mom goes into her room, like into Polly's room, around 945-ish and tells the girls to keep it down because, like, any young girls not – like, young girls are not going to be quiet. Yeah. Um, Girls are loud, believe it or not. Yeah. So (laughs) – Uh, Bobby's mom tells him to keep it down and that she's going to be heading to bed for the night. And her mom's room was right across the hall from hers. Okay. So, like, Polly's, like, right across the hall from her mom. And, of course, though, the way that life would have it is that night her mom had a migraine and took some medicine (gasps) to help her sleep. And she went to bed. Oh, so her mom no. was, like, passed out from the medicine because of the, her headache. And, like, anybody that's ever suffered from a migraine knows those things are no joke. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the only – a lot of times the only way you can get any sort of relief from pain is with the medication. And as someone who used to suffer from mm-hmm. migraines a lot when I was a kid, those things knock you out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, so – This is going to be a, a disaster. Yeah. At about 10.30 p.m., the intruder – Broke into the house in Polly's room. So like he, he went uses, through her room? So it sounds like according to – and we'll get more into it. According to him, okay, he like okay. broke in through like I think like a back door or back window or something like that. And um, – but it was like around 1030 is when he entered the house and got to her room. Ugh. So like give or take. Um, He used a knife to threaten and scare the girls and said he would slit their throats if they made any noise. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not easy. These are babies. Yeah, these are 12-year-old girls that were just trying to have a sleepover, have fun, and this guy <sighs> just, like, decides that he's going to fucking break into a house. Oh, um, my God. Okay. So he starts asking the girls whose house this is, like, where – if there's any money, who else is in the house? And Polly was brave, and she spoke up and told him, like, everything that he wanted to know. 
He ties up the girls, gags them, and put pillowcases over their heads, and then he takes Polly and he leaves the house. And that's the last time that anyone ever saw Polly alive. So the two other girls who also, like, this is an extremely traumatic event in their life. The two other girls are struggling to get free. Yeah, their friend just free. got snatched by a guy with a knife yeah. who gagged them and put bags over their heads. Good yeah. grief. Yeah, and then I'm sure, like, survivor guilt. Oh, you know. You know? Like, oh, I'm oh sure we should have done something. But you're, like, a, tro- like, you're a child. Babies. Like, you, yeah. I know the babies. <laughs> yeah, and we also you know what? You know, You know who should have done something? ourselves. I know the the kidnapper. He should have not broken into the house yeah. and kidnapped a little girl. That's yeah. that's who should have not done something. <laughs> yeah, like I just couldn't imagine. But mm-hmm. so the girls are struggling to get free, and they were like tied, like the way they were tied, they were like back to back. Okay. And they are trying to untie themselves. They finally mm. get free, and they run run to Polly's mom's room, Brave and wake girls. her up. Mm-hmm. And that's when the police were called. And the police respond within minutes. Like, the police did, like, their job on this this case. Finally, yeah. So many times we hear stories where it's, like, 30 minutes later, the police arrive an hour later, two hours later, four hours later. But, okay, they were on this one. Mm-hmm. Or they don't respond at all. Or they, or they don't come at all, right? Yep, 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 yep. So the detectives are looking around the room, and there isn't a lot of evidence that can be used, but one detective, Mike Neese, decides to take the rug in her room as evidence. Like, he just kind of had a feeling. Smart. The FBI ends up getting called, and they arrive a few hours later. Special Agent Ed Fry became the lead investigator, and the FBI evidence team gets called in at around 4 a.m., they end up finding, like, a partial palm, palm print that's on the bunk bed in Polly's room. Nice. So, like, okay. they're on it. Like, FBI is on it. They got it's, something. Yeah. Um. So, jump and to the next was, day. And just for, like, some context, just as a reminder, this was, like, what, early, early 90s? Early 90s. Early 90s. So, they didn't have, like, the same stuff technologically that we have today. Yeah. And, like, they even said, though, like, they took the partial palm print, but that it's not like they could run it into a system and have it match up to something. It's literally just there so that if they do catch the person, that they can prove that that person was there. Oh, they didn't even have, like, the database back then. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, they got it, though. They got it. So the next day, they start the search for Polly, and it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week that they are searching for this little girl. And nice. they use helicopters, bloodhounds. They search houses. They're going to her nice. school. They're talking to her friends and teachers. And the you know what? Good job, police. Police. We got to yeah. take a minute because so often they do not do a good job. Good job. Good yeah. job. They did. Yeah, they did their job in this one. The detectives talk to her neighbors, and actually, a few of them said they saw a stranger lurking around that matched the description given to them. By her two friends. So her two friends oh. that night did a sketch, a sketch. And um, so, like, they kind of had, like, a, a little bit of something to go off of. And neighbors were actually like, oh, yeah, like, we saw somebody fitting his description lurking around. Uh. A group of boys were going to the video store and saw the man outside of her, out of Polly's house, like, hiding in the shadows. Oh, and yikes. their neighbor that was behind Polly's house saw the same man lurking in the backyard and around the back door, but no one called the cops. Okay. 
Listen, fam, if you're in my neighborhood, this is not a thing that you ever have to worry about. I am the nosy neighbor. I got my my fingers in the blinds peeking out. The second I hear like a car alarm or a noise, I will call the police on a piece of shit lurking in your backyard. Okay. Oh, my God. If I see anybody lurking in someone's backyard or around someone's house or peering into windows, like I'm going to call the cops because worse, worse comes to worse. It's a minor inconvenience in your life. Best case scenario, I just saved your life. So, or I saved your house from being robbed. So you're welcome. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay to be nosy. And this is Mm -hmm. one of those times. So no one calls the cops. And the FBI evidence team is back in D.C. And they're looking at all the evidence that was collected. And they were able to determine that some of the fibers that were found on the floor came from inside of a car. Okay. They end up saying it actually came from the kidnapper's car, and they also found a hair from the kidnapper. So yes. with that hair, yeah, with that hair, they could tell that the root was still connected to it, so it didn't just like fall out. So it they, got they the girls did fight back, like yeah, they yanked it out. Good girls. So, so brave. Two days, so brave. Yeah, two days later, after Polly gets kidnapped, her dad gets a call, and it's believed it was like Polly calling because it sounded like her everything and yes Polly is saying that she was in a hotel room but didn't know where but then the line went dead oh god at the time her dad's phone was not set up for a trace so the FBI went in and got his phone like set up just in case if she calls again okay Polly calls a second time (gasps) oh mm-hmm and it, it sounds like her, and she can't talk long, though, but the FBI actually ends up getting a trace. The call is yes. traced to a house about 30 miles away. Oh my so God. the FBI goes in, and it's a family's house, and, like, the family's, like, shocked. The FBI is shocked. Everyone's like, this doesn't add up. Like, this is a oh. family home. Yeah. And one of the girls in the house confesses to making the calls. That no. she had been dared by some friends to make the call and pretend to be Polly. No. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, I know and she's also a child and doesn't yeah, understand. Yeah, you can't be mad at her and, like, they don't understand. But, but like, still, it's, like, come on. so heartbreaking. Ugh. So heartbreaking. Because, like, as a parent, like, you, I would assume you would hold on to any type of little hope. Ugh. You know? That poor dad. And mom. And family. All of them. Oh, Oh, that sucks. So we jumped to about like mid-October. So a few weeks later, the two girls from the sleepover, they actually end up doing another sketch of the intruder. Because when they did the first sketch, it was kind of like it didn't really look like – it looked like a person but not. Like there wasn't much detail to it because, you know, they were processing. And you said that they did that the night it happened. Yeah, right? they did it the night it happened. So, so there was a probably lot going on. Yeah, a lot going on yeah. in their poor little memories. And mm-hmm. okay, and um, they're also a lot more relaxed, so they can think better. So the second sketch was a lot cleaner looking, and it actually like had a lot more detail, and it it was just a much better sketch. Um, okay. A $10,000 reward was then put up, and the FBI actually gets a call for a ransom, and they trace the call. Okay. So the FBI SWAT team goes to an apartment, and it was a hoax. Oh, my God. And it was a hoax by, like, this guy that was just hoping to get the $10,000 ransom. 
A grown ass man did this, and I'm just sitting here like, what do you think's gonna happen? Like they're gonna want the kid. Yeah, like you think they're just gonna like show up and hand you ten grand and be like, oh, you don't have Polly. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh well, like, just no. keep the money. Oh my god, like, what an idiot! Think these things through. And give a damn about some poor parents whose daughter is literally in the hands of a kidnapper. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Did he get in trouble? Um, I hope he got in trouble. He did. He, he got, got arrested. Oh, he good. got arrested. Okay. It's a crime. It is a crime to call and like say you have a missing person. And if you don't, it's a hoax because you're also wasting yeah. resources. So. Yep. Take note, friends. Yeah. Don't make fucking fake calls. Nope. So. At this point, like I said, they've been searching 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Navy even was involved in trying to wow. find her. Like, it's wow. just a, like, everyone is doing anything that they can. So two months go by, and they don't have, like, really any leads. Then two on November, months. Good Two grief. months. Almost two months. So on November 28th, 1993, a property owner, Dana Joffe? I think that's how you say her last name, Jaffe. That's how I'd say it. Um, in Sonoma count, Country, called the police to say that they that she found some children's clothing and a man's sweatshirt on her property. Uh oh. Also was found some duct tape, a pair of red tights that had been tied into a knot, and some hair was caught in the tights. Oh no. So. Dana also remembered the night about two months ago, the same night that Polly was kidnapped, um, a stranger was trespassing on her property. <gasps> so on October uh, 1st, she remember like somebody like a trust, she had a trespasser on her property. And yeah. then she was doing a search of her property on November 28th and found those items. And then she connected the two. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. It's about to get bad, but, I feel like. So that guys. night, yeah. So that night, um, the night that Polly was kidnapped, Dana's babysitter was leaving and going down the drive when she saw a man and his car stuck on the side of Dana's property. So from, what? like, Dana's house down to, like, the main road, it's a long, winding driveway, like, okay. out in the country. Yeah. Okay, so it's like hilly. Yeah, like she's out in Sonoma like country. So she's out in wine country. So okay. it's hilly okay. and like big properties pushed back. Yeah, big properties. Um and he forces the babysitter to stop and asks for her to get out of the car and help him. No. <laughs> yeah. The babysitter's like, hell no. Get Good girl. <laughs> yeah. She listened to her uh her intuition. Yeah. And uh, she drives off and calls Dana from in town. Okay. Dana then takes her daughter and a baseball bat. Yeah. And, yeah. She's like, I'm not fucking playing this game. Not today. Not, not today, Satan. And <laughs> she heads down the drive to where the car is located at. And she didn't see the guy, but the car was there. So she okay. won't, She goes into town and she calls the cops because she's like, I'm not going back home. I don't know where the fuck this guy is. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. So Smart women in general. Yeah. I know, right? Two sheriff <laughs> officers return to where the car is stuck. And the guy okay. is there and he smells of alcohol and he's like sweaty and he has leaves in his hair like he's been rolling <gasps> around. But he says he was out like sightseeing in the country 
and realized he was on private property. So when he tried to turn around, he got stuck. And then he was like, oh, the leaves and the hair and, like, why I'm so sweaty is because I've been trying to, like, get my car out of the ditch. Dana didn't want to press charges, That's, that's a good-ass story, and she wa- Yeah, and she wanted him off her property. That's, like, all she wanted. Yeah. So the officers start to administer a DUI test, and he passes them. They look in the car. They see beer cans, a duffel bag, but nothing that's, like, super suspicious to where they could, like, search the car. Which is so funny because, like, nowadays if you had beer cans open, like, I feel like, isn't that a a reason Reasonable cause, yeah. But this is, like, early 90s. That's what I was going to ask. You said this all happened the night of her kidnapping. So did they have, I'm guessing, I'm assuming they probably didn't have a way to get, like, a bolo out on this guy over long distances? Mm Mm-hmm. So they, like, we'll get a little bit more into it. But, yeah, they didn't have the system set up. Like, And even if they did, they were on a different frequency. So, like, they wouldn't have gotten the report because they're in different counties. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. Like, an- the Amber Alert system was not set up at this point. So, like. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have that. Damn. Okay. Okay. So, they kind of had, like, an icky feeling with him. They're like, something's not right. Something's off. But they had no legal means to detain him. So, they pull yeah. his car out and, like, that's it. They're like, here you go. Down what the road. You do? Peace out. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't so, have her with her with him. So yeah. like, so I there's mean, like, there's no reason, exactly. Okay. So they kind of start searching that. So we're now we jump back to like end of November. Okay. Right? So that was all the night of October first. Now we're back okay. to November like twenty eighth, twenty ninth, and they start okay. searching the area and they find out that the man whose car was stuck in the ditch belongs to Richard Allen Davis. Okay. Davis was born June second, nineteen fifty four. So Gemini. And have you ever seen those like, yeah. Have you ever seen those um, like, it's like serial killer charts? Yeah. Yeah. And like half of them are Geminis. I was going to say, you know what they are? Virgos and Geminis. There's not a lot of Leos. (laughs) I'm a Gemini. Duh. But I'm on like the end of Gemini season. So like, it's like weird. I pick up other traits too. Yeah. You're cusp. You're cusp baby. Yeah. So Thank I don't God. know what that means, but yeah, Gemini's don't fuck with us. Like we prone to murder. Quick. Seems like prone it. To mur- <laughs> <laughs> prone. To, I'm a Gemini. Prone to murder. The AE true story. Yeah. Please make that documentary. <laughs> so, anyways, back to Davis. Okay. So. Davis was born in San Francisco, and he was the third of five children. Both parents were alcoholics, and his mom was the strict one. And she was kind of like it seems a little bit of uh, abusive. Um, It is believed that Davis was caught smoking at one point, and his mom, like, burned his hand as punishment. When he was 11, his parents divorced, and his dad won custody of all the children. Which, okay, hold on. Let's do the math. That was in 1965. That's not super common. But then also, like, women couldn't have a bank account by themselves until they're, like, in, like, the 70s. Yeah, that's hard to determine. That's a hard one. All right. I'll leave that yeah, one alone. So okay, okay. Yeah, you're right. It could have been any knows? number of things. Yeah. Yeah. So his dad 
marries three more times, and the kids are just kind of like shuffled between the parents and the grandparents. So there's no great stable household. Like he doesn't have any good role models. Okay. When he was younger, he suffered from mental illness, and he would kill and torture animals, That's which is like red flag signs. number one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the according to what we know now about serial killers, the three traits of serial killers are bedwetters, animal torturers, and pyro. And if you were all three of those things, and just, having just a be traumatic, careful. <laughs> and they've shown that like uh, traumatic head injuries at a young age. Oh, especially you don't even want to take me down that tangent. Traumatic head injuries before the age of 19 to your frontal lobe, right? Mm -hmm. Or no, before the the age of 25. Yes, it seems to like, and if you go through a lot of these serial killers, it's like, oh, I fell off a roof like when I was 19. I was in a terrible car accident. Like I get nervous because like baby B hits his head all the fucking time. (laughs) And um, just not those kinds. Yeah. He, he's 16 months learning to walk like it's just bound to happen right it's like so major it's just, yeah major traumatic brain injuries tend to affect a person's ability yes, to understand yes, white from something wrong. goes on yeah yeah so when he was a sophomore in high school he drops out of school and he was like stealing at this point and everything and at 17 a judge told him he could either go to california youth authority or join the army which was, like, a big thing back in the 60s and 70s. Like, it was always used almost as, like, a punishment for children. I know it was. Trouble kids, just, which, like, doesn't make any sense to me. I know. It seems backwards. <laughs> That's, like, literally the last thing you need to do. We don't want um, unstable people in the Army. We don't. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> so he decides to join the Army, and he gets stationed yeah. in Germany. But after 13 months, he was discharged with less than honorable because he was found to be stealing and, like, petty crime and all of that. Yeah, he was still unstable. (laughs) Yeah. So on October 12th, 1973, he went to a house party at Marlena Voiris' home, and she was found dead later with gunshot wounds. Now, he has never (laughs) been, he has never been trialed for this, like, for her. Okay. So the police believe suicide. Due to notes found at the scene, but people believe Davis did oh. it because he like claimed that like she was his girlfriend, which like wasn't I don't like what I found it was kind of like up in the air if that was true or not, oh. and he was never tried like I said trialed for this because like the police believe it was suicide, um, mm. but and it wouldn't surprise me if it was nineteen seventies. And this is in 1976. So, like, remember, yeah. people didn't, people don't care about women now. 73. They definitely, 73, yeah. Oh, sorry. 1973. People don't mm-hmm. care about women now. They didn't care about women back then. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're not, like, like, anyways, let's not get into That's a whole different yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, we keep trying to make these political podcasts. <laughs> I know, right? So, in 1976, he had been arrested for robbery, kidnapping, and assault and attempted rape. In 1978, he was arrested for another kidnapping and assault. And in 1984, he had been arrested for kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon and the use of a firearm and armed robbery. So his, if you go to like murder, Murderpedia, his rap sheet, like they have his rap sheet is a mile long. Like this guy should have never been out of jail. That's right. That's my question. Why he the never, hell was he not out of Like why did they he, let him free? 
he always managed somehow, like he's just a lucky person. He always just managed somehow to get on parole and to kind of like slip under. This this goes back to what you were talking about last episode. I think it was when you were like, how do these criminals get so fucking lucky? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. All right. So we have this monster roaming free in the world. Yes. So the sketch the girls gave matches Davis's mugshot. And his mother at the time lived in Petaluma, California. (laughs) So the evidence found on Dana's property was flown to the evidence team in D.C. And the fabric pieces matched up to the pieces they found in Polly's bedroom. Nice. Nice. So all the evidence is like kind of at this point pointing to Richard, but it's not enough to arrest him because at this point it's very circumstantial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they do find out, though, that he is in violation of parole. So they bring him in on that. Nice. All right. The the Snatch girls. Him up. Yep. The two girls from the sleepover end up picking him up, picking him out in a lineup. And wow. So at this they point, went they through start, a lineup. Yeah. So they start questioning him, and of course, like he denies it. Like he's not. He doesn't seem like an honest person. Surprise! Surprise. Um, they kind of like let him know, like, hey, we have physical evidence to charge you with for kidnapping, you know. But at this point, if you ever want to talk about it, like, give the FBI agents a call. So trying okay. to, like, build that rapport with him mm-hmm. and, like, let him know, like, we have stuff mm-hmm. to see if he'll confess. Yeah. So the palm print from Polly's bed post matches Davis's. Yes. So now they can physically put him at the scene. Oh, thank God. Okay. Yep. So he was in isolation at the time, and a friend of Davis's went to visit him to try to get him to tell the cops, like, where Polly was. And he's still denying it. He's like, I did nothing to do with this, like, da-da-da-da. And the friend shows Davis the newspaper article that talks about him being in the room and the palm print matching. So Davis is, like, shocked at this point. So now he's like, fuck, I got to make a deal. He thought he he was in the clear. clear. And he can't explain it away. Like, you can explain the fibers away. You can explain, like, all that's circumstantial. But you cannot explain why your palm print that is unique to every single person Mm -hmm. is in her room. On her bed. So this is what Davis tells the detectives. So on October 1st, Davis was living in a halfway house and was out on a pass to visit his mother who lived in Petaluma. He Mm. wasn't able to find her house, like, okay, and was drinking some beer while walking Polly's neighborhood. While he's walking, like, around, he ends up buying some weed from somebody, random, getting a buzz, and walking to the store to get some more beer. So essentially he's just claiming that he's just like walking around having a fucking walk in this neighborhood and smoking While he's drinking beer. Yeah, like this doesn't doesn't seem – I feel like based off of like what the people in the neighborhood observe, I think they would have observed a man randomly stumbling around with a bagged up can of beer and marijuana in their neighborhood. Yeah, and, like, take what he says with a grain of salt. Like, I think he's yeah. trying to, like, get – like, he thinks if he can, like, play the cops and, like, be like, I don't know. Like, I had weed and beer. I don't remember. 
then mm-hmm. he's going to get like a lesser sentence. Unreliable witness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the police find out like he had a duffel bag with strips of cloth cut with scissors and duct tape. So like he had intent. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Come on. He said he randomly picks a house on the street, crawled into a window, and he thinks he picked up a knife from the kitchen, but he doesn't remember anything after that. Oh, my God. The next thing he knows, which is, like, bullshit, the next thing he knows is that Polly is sitting next to him, and she's complaining about the ties on her hands because her, like, fingers are getting, like, tingly, and so he loosens it for her. Okay. Also, side note, I think that girls would – been able to tell the cops oh he seemed like drunk or like not coherent mm-hmm. if he can't yeah. remember what he was doing if he was that, that if he, he was that sloppy he would have left more evidence that and if he was like if he's saying oh i was so high and drunk i don't remember what happened next after i crawled into a window like they you start, would, if yeah you, yeah you people would be like oh he was slurring his words we smelled alcohol we did this like yeah no it and doesn't even if up. you didn't have the right words I could totally see a kid being like oh he was just really stumbly and like his words were messed yeah. up or like he didn't make sense when he was talking yeah you're right if he was so blacked out that he didn't remember what happened they probably would have been able to observe something funky with his behavior yeah yeah, yeah definitely you're right okay so he loosens her ties for her right And that's when he drives off the main road and onto Dana's property and got the car stuck. Mm. He then gets Polly out of the car and takes her to an embankment about 30 yards away. He was planning on just leaving her there until he figured out the car situation. And then that's when the whole car scene happened with the deputies. I don't buy that either. No, no. Um, after the cops got him out of, like, the ditch and escorted him to the main road, he waited, like, 15 to 30 minutes before going back to get Polly. He strangled Polly and refused to give out, like, a timeline in the events for that. Um, here's the thing, though. So cops believe that when either, like, before the babysitter or when Dana was coming down, that's when he was killing Polly because – at this point, her ties are loosened. She's 12 years old. If he leaves her, she's not going to just, like, sit there and be like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think at that point, she's realizing, like, she either has to get out or she's going to die. She and we can run. tell Polly's a fighter. Like, Yeah, she would run. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, his story just doesn't add up. He just – he, like, didn't give full details. And – um, Wow. Yeah. So do we know, and I don't even like want to know, but like only because there were so many clothes found at the scene and like the tights with her hair and stuff like, do they, do they know if she was assaulted? So he is charged and convicted of a lewd act on a child, but he denies this charge. And I had to like, it doesn't like pop up like, oh, he strangled her. Like there's no gory details. Good. Um, well, she's a baby. There shouldn't she's be. She's a baby, yeah. and there and there shouldn't be. But yeah. they never, yeah. like, a lot of things I read never talked about that. So, like. Okay. Probably he did. I mean, he probably did. Uh, but, I mean, he was charged and convicted of it. Good. Yep. Okay. So, but he denies it. Yeah, of so, course he does. <laughs> so, her body was found December 3rd, 1993, in Cloverdale in a field. Um, the case went to trial in 1996 and after 10 weeks, the jury found him guilty 
On August yes. 5th, 1996, he was sentenced to death and was convicted of first-degree murder, robbery, burglary, Good. kidnapping, and a lewd act on a child. And as I said before, he does deny this charge. He did. I mean, that just doesn't make sense otherwise. It, what a yeah, piece I mean. of shit. Fucking scum of the earth. So, Polly's case, though, is a pretty known case. Um, and Because it really changed how we dealt with missing children. So Polly's case was the first missing child case that used the internet. Gary French and Bill Rhodes, who lived in the area um, when she went missing, went to the police department and told them, like, hey, like, her image could be digitalized and become a lot clearer. Because before then, it was like scanning an image on a piece of paper. So, you know, it never looks as good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, we can digitize this and make it a lot better. Aww. so they did. And they also worked with Larry Magid, Magid, who was a computer columnist. Columnist? I don't even know what that is. I'm guessing a, a digital journalist? Maybe, maybe. And they were actually able to reach up to 20 million users on the internet at the time. Wow. Bill and Gary were also able to get businesses to donate eight personal computers, and they were able to fax thousands of Polly's missing posters throughout the country. Wow. When they were doing the ground search for Polly, they covered over a 1,000 square miles, and it was the first time the missing child areas were recorded on CAD maps. Yeah, CAD maps. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all – there were almost – 4,000 volunteers who tried their best to find Polly. So it's like one of the biggest searches, too. I mean, there's nothing that can make this tragedy less tragic, but it's got to, it has to at least bring some comfort to her family to just know so many people cared. So many people were trying. That, and also like, in the episodes, and like, it is very rare for a child to just be kidnapped randomly out of their house like it it doesn't the most children that are kidnapped it's by somebody they know or an estranged parent oh Mm -hmm. it is pretty rare it is pretty i mean it happens obviously but it is pretty rare for just a stranger to go into a house and take a child out of the house that's actually like really comforting to know yeah i mean it kind of is but kind of isn't but like also like I don't know about you, but like my, con- I'm constantly concerned about people like busting into my house when I'm asleep. Um, I mean, that's fair though. Like, I think like people robbing a house and stuff like that. It's definitely that's you have a more chance of that happening to you than somebody coming into your house and taking your child. But they're but not going to just happen. like come in and snatch your kid. Yeah, but it does happen, and it is a parent's like worst nightmare. So, Aww. but it is you know it just. It, really struck home to people because if it could happen to you and to something that's very similar to me, then why could it not happen to me? Yeah. Yeah. So Polly's case is also the reason that California has this three strikes law, which gives life terms to criminals (gasps) with three felony convictions. There is a problem with this law though. I was going to say, that's a bad law. (laughs) It's good in theory, but it was not written correctly. 
Yep, 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 yep. It was not written correctly because it mandates that even those convicted of non-violent felonies could be sent for life. Like, yeah, I have. Do, yeah, can I tell like a random story? Yeah, sure, of course. I can edit this out. There's a podcast. Um, I'll link to it. I think at the bottom of this episode about a guy who basically he had two strikes, um, nonviolent felonies. Actually, I think one of his was, it was like, uh, there was some kind of robbery and like he had a gun just on the property and that's what made it a violent felony, even though he wasn't using it. I don't remember specifically, but anyways, he had two felonies. He went to rob this person's house again, a nonviolent felony. However, when they went to the house, they more or less found this chest of things containing, um, a bunch of child pornography and not just on one child. It was like a lot that this guy was taking advantage of. So Ugh. he had to face this decision. I think Do I have heard I, this. I think I, I remember hearing about this. I case. probably yes. sent it to you. I was going to say, I yeah, probably yeah, sent yeah, it to yeah. you. Yeah. Because I was probably like, girl. I know. It's but like, he ugh. had to. Yeah, I know. He had to face this choice of like, do I go and tell the police what I found and then go back to prison forever because I'm never going to get out because it'll be my third strike? Or do I run away and hide? Well, ultimately, he decided to turn the guy in and it was this huge like pedophile ring and they were able to shut it down and they got they saved a lot of kids. They helped a lot of kids. Um, and then this guy got put back into prison. Um, and there was like a bunch of appeals that went on and I don't, he, I remember he managed to, uh, get out sooner despite this, but yes, the three strikes law has become very problematic. It has a lot because like, to me, like Davis, he's the type of person that should have never, ever, Abs- ever yes, been absolutely. out on the street. And, and that's what it was it, for. It's a great, it's a great law. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it needs to be written better it needs to be for violent crimes yeah now if you are robbing people left and right like i feel like that point eventually something bad's gonna happen like you're gonna take someone's life like but that's like a whole different story that's a whole different thing yeah but still i think like, you're right well because what california saw was that this guy had a rap sheet 10 miles long and that they really should and this was his him. first his first murder not kidnapping murder and he had had the violent assaults before. So they were probably mm-hmm. just like, we can't let this ever happen again. Like, no. Yeah. Anybody like yeah. this who comes to our state, like, we are locking up. But. Yeah. You got to yeah. revisit no. those things from time to time. <laughs> yeah. And so Richard Davis is at San Quentin State Prison and he is on death row. But in 2000. Still? Mm-hmm. Oh. California. I feel like goes back and forth with allowing the, the death penalty, not allowing the death penalty, holding mm-hmm. death row inmates. Like, they're very, like, they go back and forth. But in 2019, mm-hmm. Governor Newsom put a halt to all executions. So as of right now, he's just, like, hanging out. That's and listen, it. death row is not a like great somebody, place to be. No, no. And I do think that a lot of people on death row – um a lot of those cases we have a lot of re-examined yeah we have a lot of complicated feelings about death row i think both chelsea and i agree that there are some garbage humans that like just don't like just like yeah but i think that's not necessary you need to have if someone's on death row it needs to be a hundred percent like your dna is here like you did it and you've admitted to it and we have the physical evidence there's no way else it could be anybody else than 
and you're a horrible person. Like, I don't care. But again, there's a lot of people on death row that are innocent, especially Mm -hmm. people of color, that their cases need to be re-examined and act with fresh eyes with people that have no idea anything about it. Yeah. To conf- like confirm, like, yes, we physically have the evidence. Because there's a yeah. lot of people that become the scapegoat. So, But not this piece of shit. No, this not this piece, piece of shit. shit. He's, he's annoying and should just go away. And um, you know what kills me is that on death row, you actually get, and this is based off my understanding, I know North Carolina um, prison systems better than other states, so I don't know how California is. But I know that when you're on death row, like, it sucks because you're in isolation. I mean, you're not like in isolation, but you typically have your own cell and you don't typically get to interact with people. But it's not like it's not eliminated. Like you can interact with the guards and like if you're passing someone in the hallway and I, their prison yards, like you could typically see other people and stuff like that. So it's not like true isolation. I know that that is real and that sucks, but it's still a lot of times I mean, they have TVs. Like, it's... Yeah, so... Like, this guy doesn't need a TV. No, there has been the case that, like, people on death row, because, like, oh, we feel bad, they're going to die, but a lot of them are staying on death row for years and years and decades, even. Yes, yes. And there are a lot of states where when you are on death row, you have access to a lot of things to make it more comfortable than the general public and honestly he probably would not survive in the general public because from my understanding i've never been to prison but from my understanding is if you committed a crime against a child it's kind of like you're the bottom like people do not like you that's also what i've heard from from prisoners he might get his own little karma bullshit if you went back into general population but like i don't know is it bad that i say that about like pedophiles i'm like well at least they'll get theirs in prison (laughs) fuck them yeah no i don't care about don't fuck with kids you know what people will care about Mm -hmm. you more if you don't fuck with kids don't fuck with kids with kids so polly's parents continue to fight for polly and for missing children everywhere mark class her dad is the founder of class kids her mother eve nicole serves on the board of the polly class foundation which was formed to search for polly in october of 1993 and that is the case of Polly Class. Ugh. That is not good, Chels. No, it's not. But, you know. <laughs> uh, Am I ever going to end one of these episodes being like, that was great? <laughs> no. Usually in true crime, there's no happy ending. Just get used to it. That's going to be my go-to. That was not good. <laughs> I know. So, on a good note, though, what's your weekly win? My weekly win this week is that, um, A... 2020 is going to be fucking gone in just a matter of like hours at this point. Mm-hmm. And then B, it is also my anniversary tomorrow. Oh, shit. I know. That's big, awesome. That's big, exciting. big O3. <laughs> big O3, girl. You're getting there. Woo. <laughs> That's exciting. I'm happy for you guys. Yeah, I'm excited too. What about you? What's your weekly win? What you got? Um, I have two more days left of quarantine. I knew it was going to be the quarantine. (laughs) How many days you got left? All right. Only two. You can make it. We have have to make it through tomorrow and then we're done. 
you can make it and then you guys are gonna go on a fun little family outing on sunday right yeah this weekend we are we've made so many plans I mean, social distancing, you know, we're not being stupid. Family outing is like on, going to the beach. Yeah, yeah we're like, going to like the beach. We're going hiking, um, stuff like just that. Just getting so. out. Just getting out. So we'll be good. That's we'll going to be so great. Baby B is going to love it. I know you're going to love it because hubby's there. And then um, he leaves again. No. Yeah. No, he really does. He leaves in like two weeks. So whatever. It is what it is. You're going to be home um, soon. You're going to be home soon. I know North Carolina. Um, all right. Well, make sure to check out our Facebook discussion page, A Thousand True Crimes. Um, no. Subscribe. It's and... not our Facebook discussion group. <laughs> no, it's not. What is it? <laughs> um, a Thousand True Crimes podcast discussion group. Okay. On Facebook, A Thousand True Crimes podcast discussion group. Right? She got it. I got it. <laughs> Um, and subscribe and pulling like up Patrick us. over there. I know, right? I just don't even know. I'm not good at it. It's fine. Um, yeah, I do most of the socials. So like, but yeah, we are in there. I, I'm and that trying is to get Chelsea. better at it. I'm trying to get better at it. I promise. And then, um, um, our Instagram group, which is going to be called a thousand true crimes pod, right? Yeah. I just have to create it. I'm, I'm getting to it. I swear. Yep. We'll get there. I promise. Fine. But we're all there. But yeah, find us on all your streaming platforms. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Give us a follow. Write us a review. All those things that help us go up the charts um, because we're poor and we need Unless money. it's a negative review, don't. Please don't. We don't need that. Yeah, please don't. It's not necessary. Yeah. We're poor send a mess. and If you want to be negative, us. just send us a message. It's fine. We'll read them. We'll read them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody has a great rest of your your 2020 in the next few hours and yes. happy new year happy new year guys we made it almost there all right we love you all bye bye fam